Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Ephesians 3.20 is our text for today's message and one of the things we're focusing on about around this time in the devotional. It's a scripture a lot of people know and love. So let's read it together. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Now one of the things about this verse that is such good news is God is able. How able is he? He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask, that we think. Another translation is even beyond what we can imagine. Sometimes we shortchange the ability of God. You say, yes, God can do anything, but when it comes to person applying that power in our lives, we limit what we believe he can do. But look at your neighbor and tell them God is able. Now look at the other person and tell them with a little bit more oomph that God is able. Go to Genesis 17.1. Let's talk about how able is he. Genesis 17.1. He's able to do exceeding abundantly far above. Genesis 17.1 says, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou mature. Almighty God here in the Hebrew is El Shaddai. It means God Almighty, the all-powerful God, the all-sufficient God, the God who is all-sufficient, who has all power to do us all good. So let's break down that name some more. I am God all-sufficient. It's from the Hebrew words, which means to shed or to pour out. So that means he's saying, I am the God who pours out blessings, who gives them richly, abundantly, and continually. John Wesley in his notes said, I am God all-sufficient. The God with whom we have to do is self-sufficient. He has everything and needs not anything, and he is enough to us. And if we be in covenant with him, we have all in him, and we have enough in him, enough to satisfy our most enlarged desires, enough to supply the defect of everything else, and to secure us happiness for our immortal souls. He has power to do all good. We know John 15, 7 says, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Kenneth Hagin said in his studies, he was studying the Greek, and it implied that the strongest word we have in the English language is shall. But a Greek scholar says that word implies that if I don't have it, I'll make it for you. You might be asking God for something, believing for something that you've never seen before, but you know you need it in your situation. God says, I have all power to take care of it, but if I don't have it, I'll make it for you. Why? He's El Shaddai. All sufficient, which means sufficient to everything or infinitely able. So we ask, how able is he? He is infinitely able. This name depicts God literally as who is sufficient in granting mercies and who has sufficient power to give whatever is necessary. The title Shaddai really indicates the fullness and riches of God's grace and would remind the Hebrew reader that from God comes every good and perfect gift. That he is never weary of pouring forth his mercies on his people and that he is more ready to give than they are to receive. Bountiful expresses the sense most exactly. El sets forth the might of God and the title Shaddai points to the inexhaustible stores of his bounty. He is the one who has the, su the supply and as long as you make a demand, there will be a supply. Now that would be great if that's the only name God gave us to know about him. But the thing is, when God gives us names in the Bible, it reveals his character and it reveals who he is. So when he came to Abraham, he said, I'm El Shaddai, I'm more than enough, I'm infinitely able. I want to continually pour out my blessing upon your life. That's who I am. I am God all-powerful. There's none like me. I can handle it. 
Someone say, God can handle it. How many believe no matter what you're facing today that God can handle it? Go to Exodus chapter 6. Because one thing about revelation is it's progressive. Revelation is progressive. It builds on each other. Revelation chapter 6. Excuse me, Exodus chapter 6. We'll get to Revelation in a moment. Come on, you know it's faith. We'll take you all the way through the Bible in one day if we can. Exodus chapter 6, verse 3. We'll back up to verse 2. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. Or in the Hebrew, I am Jehovah. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, or by the name El Shaddai. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. The name Jehovah, or Yahweh, as it also can be translated, it means the self-existent one who manifests or reveals himself. It means the self-existent one who manifests or reveals himself. When it says appeared unto them, it means revealed or caused them to experience. So when I appeared or revealed myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I did so causing them to experience my nature as the all-powerful God, as the God who is more than enough. But they didn't experience me fully as the self-existent one who manifests himself. So he says to Moses, to you and the children of Israel in Egypt, you're going to know me as the God who is self-existent, who reveals and manifests himself. The word name, of course, means authority and character. Character is the distinctive qualities a person is known by. When it says known here, it means to know intimately. So he's saying, you're going to know intimately that I'm the one who manifests myself. It's not going to be theory. It's not going to be some type of mental head knowledge that you have. Yes, God is all powerful. Yes, God manifests himself. He says, you're going to know it for certain in your everyday life. My God manifests himself. It's different from knowing, and then it's different when you experience it. Because everybody can talk about what they know, but it changes when they talk about what they have seen and what they've experienced. So this name, Jehovah, the scholars call it the ineffable name, which means it's too great or extreme to be put in words. He is a self-existent one. This name signifies he is. Like we've taught before, it is the equivalent name of I am. It denotes the self-existence, independence, immutability, and infinite fullness of God. So now go to Revelation chapter 1. Someone say, God is able. Say, he's infinitely able. And he lives in me. Revelation 1. Verse 8, notice what Jesus says. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. And if you want my notes, you can download them through the live events of the Bible app. Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. I was here at the beginning. I'm going to be here at the end. I'm at the beginning of your life. I'm at the end of your life, and I'm everywhere in between, says the Lord. That's how he refers to himself, the Lord. What does the word Lord in Greek mean? Supreme and authority. So he said, I am the supreme and authority. I'm at the beginning. I'm at the end. I'm everywhere in between, but it doesn't stop there. Which is and which was, which is to come, the Almighty. So what has happened when the book of Revelation says, which is, which was, which is to come, it echoes the book of Exodus when God appeared to Moses and said, I am that I am. Another translation from Hebrews says, I shall be who I shall be. So when it says who is, who was, who is to come, I eternally am. So it's not saying what God did is what I'm always doing. Not what God will do, but he's always still doing it. He's not going to stop because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then he reminds them, I am the almighty God, I have all power. Don't forget, I am still El Shaddai. In the new covenant, I am still the almighty, all-powerful, all-sufficient God who loves to pour out his blessings continually. That's who I am. I am infinitely able. 
Now, how do they worship him in heaven? Look at chapter 4, verse 8. Remember we said Revelation is progressive. Revelation chapter 4. Verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about them. They were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, supreme in authority, all-powerful, all-sufficient one, which was and is and is to come. Revelation is progressive, so now you can know he's not just all-powerful, he's all-sufficient, and in addition, he's supreme in authority. He's everything you need him to be at the beginning, at the end. He is your God. So when he says, I'm Jehovah, the simplest definition of Jehovah is to say he is. So when he studied the Bible, you see he's Jehovah Shalom, so he is your peace. When it says he's Jehovah Rapha, he is your healer. Jehovah Tiskanu, he is your righteousness. Jehovah Rohi, he is your shepherd. He is whatever you need him to be. Hebrews 11 says that when he shows up, he says, when you believe, you must have faith that he is. Not just that he exists, he is whatever you need him to be. So you can't go to God's like, God maybe have enough power. You have to know that he has enough power. He can handle the situation. It doesn't matter what you're looking at. doesn't matter what you're facing. God is your answer. He has the power. And not only is he able, he is willing. How do I know he's willing? His character shows that he is willing. He says, I'm the self-existent one that manifests myself. He loves to manifest himself. He loves for people to give him the opportunity to show himself strong. He said in the Old Testament, his eyes go to and fro looking for somebody he can show himself strong. He is looking for somebody that he can manifest for. He is looking for somebody he can show up for. I would advise you to say, come on God, that is me. You can show up for me every single day. That's what he wants to do because that is who he is. See, when you look at the Old Testament, God in his conversation with Abram and with Moses, when they started to doubt, he said in Genesis 18, is anything too hard for Jehovah? He says, is there really anything too hard for me? Numbers eleven twenty three. God said, I'm going to feed all these people. Moses said, how are you going to do that? You know how many people it is? And he says, did my hand wax short? Did I have a power shortage? Did something happen in me that I did not know about? He says, you're going to see what I'm going to do. Why? That's who he is. He doesn't have a power shortage. He is God. The infinitely able one, the all-powerful God who has all power to do us all good, and he does it all the time. He is the self-existent one, all-sufficient, and he is more than enough. So go back, go back to Ephesians 3. He is able and he is willing. In the book of Mark, chapter 1, man came up to Jesus needed to be healed. He says, I believe you're able. I know you can heal me if you want to. Jesus settles that issue forever concerning healing. I will be thou healed. He is willing. And he is able. What is he able to do? Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So wait a minute. So we saw how infinitely able God is. We saw all that he can do. But how much shows up in your life depends on how much power is working in you. Not how much power is in you, how much power is working in you. Go to James 5.16. The latter part of James 5.16. Say, the greater one 
the all-powerful one, lives on the inside of me. James 5, 16. Last part of the verse says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The Amplified Classic Edition says it makes tremendous power available. You want to have tremendous power available in your life, you need to be a person of prayer. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. Much prayer, much power. You should be in conversation with God throughout your day. Yes, you should have time in the, in the start of your day, whatever the start of your day is. Some people start their day in the morning. Some people work nice, so they start their day in the afternoon. Wherever you start your day, you need to take some undivided time and spend time in prayer with God. Spend time in the Word of God. But that shouldn't be the only time of the day you talk with God. We live in Atlanta, and we are praying for our highways. But because of different issues, it takes a lot longer to get where we're going right now. So instead of being all upset and think about who to blame and who to tweet at, take some time and pray in that car. Take some time to pray on that bus. Take some time to pray where, however you're traveling. Throughout the day, take time to acknowledge him. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be deep. He says, Father, I just thank you for being with me. Thank you for directing me today. If you stay in conversation with him and that's your lifestyle, You'll be a person who has tremendous power available. Go to Jude 120. We said in last week's message that praising and giving God glory causes the power to rest on you. So power has been made available. You have access to it, but are you using it? Jude, verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Build up means to edify, to strengthen. You can answer the translator as to charge up. If you don't, if you're not spiritually charged, it's not God's fault. He is the power source. He has all power. He can handle whatever you need in your situation. But the only way... You can tap into that power. One of the ways you tap into that power is by spending time praying in the Holy Ghost. Spending time praying in tongues. You know, most of us are very diligent about charging our devices. Very diligent about charging our phones, our iPads, whatever type of electronic device you use. You're going to do it before you go to sleep. You're going to make sure it's charged when you wake up in the morning. You might even have a charger in your car. You might have a charger at your workstation. You're going to make sure you don't run out of power because what are you going to do if your phone's out of power? You won't know what's going on, who tweeted this, who put this on Instagram, who snapped this. What are you going to do if you're disconnected for a few moments? We are a generation that believes in always being connected. And if we're going to be connected, we have to have our device charged, right? We need to put more diligence in our prayer life. It's no problem with always having a device that's charged. But make sure your spirit is just as charged, if not more. you got to spend that time praying so that you can be charged up. If you're following along with us in the devotional, we gave a challenge that says to start this past week praying in the Holy Ghost at least one hour a day. At least one. We shared a message that the Lord gave through Dad Hagen in 1982. And he said, if you would take, if you would tithe your time unto God and spend at least one to two hours a day praying in the Holy Ghost, building yourself up on your most holy faith, all will be well in your life. I was listening to a message and Sister Gloria Copeland was preaching on it and said she was in that meeting. So she made the decision that day to spend at least one hour a day praying in the Holy Ghost. And so she said years later, she said, I realize that all is well in my life, and I attribute that a lot to spending at least one hour a day praying in the Holy Ghost. So whether you're following along with us in the devotional or not, my challenge to you today is to up your prayer time. Try it out for the next two to three weeks. Spend an hour praying in tongues every day at least. Now, you may not have an hour of uninterrupted time, so break it up as much as you need to, but get to just at least an hour. And watch what God does, because now you are connecting to that power. 
Because what happens when you're praying in other tongues? One of the things you're doing, you're praying out the perfect will of God. So there will be some things you don't know to pray for, but as you're praying the Holy Ghost, you're praying out the right thing. But also, it says that when you pray in the Holy Ghost, at times you're magnifying God. What happens when you magnify something? It gets bigger in your eyes. It didn't change its shape, just to you it got bigger. And what happens if you start believing that God is big enough for your situation, you'll expect him to show up in your situation. Go to Romans 10, 17. Actually, go back to Ephesians 3, and I'll quote Romans 10, 17 to you. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith lays hold to the power of God needed for the situation. Faith can be as divided as you need it to be depending on your situation. So let's say you have a financial situation. You can study the word of God and listen to sermons on healing, and that's great because your faith will grow in healing, but right now you need your faith to grow in finances. Amen? So whatever area you need the power of God to manifest in your life, whatever area you feel to be the weakest in your life, you need to spend time reading scriptures concerning promises that line up with that area. You need to spend time listening to messages that address that situation. And thank God we live in a generation that we can have hundreds of messages in our hand on a phone. Use that technology to your advantage and meditate on the word of God. That's one of the reasons now we put everything we preach here up on the iTunes podcast for free. You can download any message we preach here on the website for free. Why? We want you to be in the word so your faith grows in your heart. It's your job to put yourself in a position to hear the word, and it's God's job to supply the faith. So Ephesians 3.20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Now this phrase exceeding abundantly above comes from a Greek word which means superabundant in quantity or superior in quality. By implication, it's excessive. It's exceeding abundantly above, more abundantly, beyond measure. That's why we're going to live the beyond life. What is this? This is the power of El Shaddai. And this power is more than enough. What is this power? It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He was raised by the spirit of God. He was raised by the Holy Ghost. He was raised by the glory of God. This is the resurrection power that you have access to you. And it is more than enough. Another way to say that if you have resurrection power on the inside of you or working in your life, you are anointed. What is the anointing? It is the burden removing, yoke destroying power of God. Say, I am anointed. Say, I have the power of the Almighty God inside me right now. The power of God must be combined with your action. The power of God must be combined with your action. As James tells us, faith without works or faith without corresponding action is dead. So you can have and tap into all the power that you need. You can spend all that time praying in the Holy Ghost, being in the Word of God, being a person of prayer, and be filled with power, and it can still do you no good. I could study out, and God could give me a life-changing message that's for you. And I could stand in the pulpit and say nothing and just look at you. How many know that although I have exactly what God has given me to give you, it is not blessing you because I didn't open my mouth and say something? The power of God must be combined with your action. Think about an example. One of our Braves players playing at SunTrust Park. Anybody playing there, let's say they are very strong, that it's easy for them to hit a home run. It's easy for them to knock it out of the park. But in order for them to knock it out of the park, they got to step up to the plate. They can't be on the bench going, yep, I'm going to hit a home run. Oh, I believe I'm going to hit a home run. Oh, I confess I'm going to hit a home run. That's all good. But at some point, your tail needs to step up to the plank. You need to get in position, and you need to swing. 
But many Christians will never step up to the plate and they'll never swing because they're afraid of missing. They're afraid of striking out. They're afraid of failing. The fear of failure will keep you from taking risk and will keep you from walking by faith. I like what Pastor Craig Rossell said. He said, failure is an event, not a person. Failure is an event, not a person. We will all make mistakes. We will all fail. We will all miss it. There, you will have great opportunity to strike out multiple times in your life. But you have the spiritual wherewithal to get back to the plate again. To get ready and try it one more time. Because if you're always afraid of failing, you can never do anything big for God. You never step out. You must step up to the plate. Leon, if you'll bring me my other example. Thank you, sir. Bow, arrow. How many of you know this bow and arrow cannot do its job if I don't put the bow and the arrow together? If I don't put this arrow here, don't get so nervous. <laughs> I already promised the first lady I'm not going to aim at anybody. That it can't do its job unless I put it together. But then I could put it together, but if I never pull back, it can't get to its target. A lot of people will never fire any arrows because they think they can't hit the target. They think they can't go the distance. But the thing is, you have the power of the almighty God on the inside of you. But it will do you no good unless you put the arrow in its place and you pull back and you let it go. It's not that do you feel that you are anointed. It's you knowing the Bible says you are anointed, but you got to line up and take your shot. See, there's a phrase that we would use if there's a bunch of guys hanging out and one of the guys is single and they start talking about a girl they really like. It's like, oh, she's this. Oh, she's that. Eventually, the guys was like, stop talking to us about it. Shoot your shot, bruh. Go up and talk to her. Go up and say something. We are the wrong people to talk to right now. So today's message is, shoot your shot, bruh. You have arrows. You have power, but you're not taking your shot. It's time for you to shoot your shot. He is able to do exceeding, abundantly, far above, all that we can ask, think, pray for, imagine, according to the power that's working in us. But you must low the arrow, you must pull the strings, and you must let it go. Go to Exodus chapter 14. Come back to this example later. Exodus 14. And just as a side note, as you turn to Exodus, that was the pastor's job to meddle sometime. Fellas, don't confess yourself a wife. Go out and find one. You can pray for one all day long in your prayer closet, but how many knows he's not going to show up in your prayer closet? Go outside your prayer closet, get some game, and go get her. It's not a bad thing for Christian men to have game. You should have game. And keep it up when you're married. You got to have game. What, do you think I only prayed her in? Nah, baby. What's that, girl? Exodus 14. (laughs) 
The power of God must be combined with your action. Let's look at the story in Exodus 14, starting with verse 13. They've left Egypt. God has delivered them. God has set them free. Now they're literally between a rock and a hard place. They're standing before the Red Sea, and behind them is Pharaoh's army. On the other side is a mountain. The only way to escape is to go through the Red Sea. And so Moses is like a lot of us. And notice what he says. Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you this day. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. How I many? that's pretty good. Hey, if you're in a, that tight spot to have a faith confession like that, that is great. Right? But look at the other side of this. He's saying, God's going to do it. I have nothing to do with it. So if it doesn't work, it ain't my fault. Because notice how God replies to him. The Lord said to Moses, wherefore cries thou to me? What are you talking to me for? What's all this big speech? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But you, you ain't getting out from this, Moses. Lift up the rod. You stretch out your hands. And by implication, you divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Then God talks about what he will do. But why would he talk to Moses like that? For months. A lot of times you look to read the first few chapters of Exodus, you think it was days. This was months up to at least maybe over a year. God had been training Moses. Every miracle he did, every plague he called was training in the anointing. Training and using the power of God. These plagues and these things didn't just happen. God would tell Moses, here's what you need to do. Pick up that dust. Pick up that stick. Go to the water. Do this. Do that. He gave them actions to do. The power of God was combined with the action of Moses. And so now Moses gets to really a hard spot. And now instead of going back to what God has trained him to do, he says, God's going to do all of this. And God says, Moses, no, you aren't escaping this. You take that rod. What did the rod represent? The anointing of God. You take the anointing, you lift it up, you stretch your hand, and you divide the sea. Could it be possible that you're spending so much time praying for God to do something, and God is looking at you, it's time for you to do something? I've given you all the power that you need. You need to step up and use it. Maybe the problem, I'm getting ahead of myself, maybe the problem is not what you don't have. Maybe the problem is you don't use what you do have. Go to 2 Kings 4. What's in your hand? That's what he told Moses at the burning bush. What's in your hand, Moses? And God is asking you today, what's in your hand? What arrows do you have? 2 Kings 4, what's in your hand? Second Kings chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 1. Now, as you turn there, remember the story of David when he was a teenager, stepping up to take on Goliath. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? When he said that, he's saying, who is this person that has no covenant with God? Who has no access to the power of God? How is he making an entire nation afraid? At any given moment, anybody out of that army, King Saul included, could have stepped up, said what David said, believed what David did, and took down the giant. But they didn't use what they had access to. Now, David didn't confess the giant down. He didn't believe the giant down. Now, he did make a faith confession. He did believe the giant would fall. He did open his mouth and say to his giant, you don't run out your giant with your mouth closed. But he also picked up some stones. He put something in his hand. Well, why did he have five? Did he have bad aim? No, a lot of scholars believe it's because Goliath had some brothers. And David said, we can make this a family affair. I can take all y'all down. He took the stones, put it in the sling, and he slung it. Now, yes, a slingshot is dangerous, but when you will launch a stone like that, it's not supposed to do what it did there in 1 Samuel 17. It said it sunk in to Goliath's skull. What is that? 
It's like a bullet. What happened when David released that stone? The power of God combined with his action and caused the giant to fall. But the power of God must be combined with your action. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elijah, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. The guy was a good guy. He loved Jesus, but he was bad with money. He loved God, but he was bad with money. He was in great debt. He died early, and now his family has to pay the debt. And the people they owed says, fine, since your husband's not here to pay it, we're going to take your two children, and they're going to be slaves until you can pay off the debt. But notice what the man of God, Elisha, said unto her. What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your handmaid has not anything in the house save a pot of oil. A lot of people, when they run up to situations, they discredit what they have. They say, well, I don't have enough to handle this. Maybe if I made more money, I could do that. Maybe if I knew more people, maybe if I went those extra years to college, maybe if this happened in my past, I could handle this situation. All I have is this little pot of oil. What's in your house? Then he said, go borrow these vessels abroad from all your neighbors, empty vessels, Borrow not a few, and when you are come in, shut the door upon you and your sons, and you shall pour out into all those vessels, and you shall set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, pay your debt, live you and your children on the rest. The power of God came upon that pot of oil, and it kept flowing until every pot was filled. And then she sold it. Not only is now she's debt-free, she has enough to live off the rest of her life. But notice the power of God didn't just come into the situation and fix everything by itself. It had to be combined with action. In this case, it had to be combined with the woman of God's obedience to the man of God. How many times has God said something, but you're slow to do it because you think, well, I don't have enough to do it. Well, maybe if God gives me more, I'll take the first step. You're not waiting on God. God is waiting on you. Go to Matthew 14. Matthew 14, verse 18. This is when Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus calls his disciples over, has a mini staff meeting. And it says, I don't want to send these people here away. They've been here all day. Feed them. And they said, even if we had this huge amount of money, that's not enough to buy bread to feed everybody here just a little bit. Because if we look in the other gospel accounts, it says Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And so he asked them, what do you have? One of the disciples, Andrew, spoke up and said, well, all we have is this little kid's lunchable. A few fishes and some loaves of bread. Some Greek scholars said it wasn't big fishes. A lot of us, when we see this miracle, we want to imagine this huge, the biggest fish in the sea and the biggest loaf of bread possible. One Greek scholar, Rick Renner, said it was just like anchovies and some crackers. And he says, but what are these among so few, so many. And so what did Jesus say in verse 18? Bring them here to me. Put it in the hands of the anointed one. Put it in the hands of the one who has the anointing. And what does it say next? It says he blessed it. He gave God thanks and released the power of God into it. And then he gave it to his disciples. And what did they do? They kept dividing it and they fed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. But it didn't happen just because someone believed. It didn't happen just because someone confessed. They put it in the hands of the anointed one. Jesus Christ, the name Christ means the anointed one and his anointing. They believed he was the Messiah, so they believed he had the anointing. 
But if you call yourself Christian, how many of yourself call yourself a Christian? You're saying, I am anointed. You're saying, I have power from God. So by your profession of faith, you are saying, I got the power of God. I've got the anointing. So if that is your belief, you can't complain about what you don't have. Because the issue is not what you don't have. The issue of you not using what you do have. You have to remember, even though if it's little, even if it seems like it's not enough, when it gets to the hands of the anointed one, it will be more than enough. You say, you mean the hands of Jesus? Yes, but also your hands. What in your life have you disqualified because you said it's not enough? What have you said, I can't do it because I don't have? You have the anointing of God. You have the power of the infinitely able God who can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think according to the power that is working in you. Stop complaining about what you don't have. Get your hands on what you do have and release the power of God. Because the power of God is on the inside of you, Christian. You cannot be afraid to fail. Because sometimes failure is a step towards success. I was listening to Pastor Craig Rochelle on Friday tell his testimony on how his church made the Bible app. Long story short, they made the YouVersion Bible app. They had started something, I believe they called it Bible.com. It was a combination of the Bible, Facebook, and something else with social media 12 years ago or so. And it never took off. He was saying it was so bad, our staff didn't even use it, and they're the ones who made it. And so we were about to shut it down, and he said, that someone came in and said, hey, Apple's about to do something called apps. And this is about 12 years ago. He said, what's an app? And so they explained it. And so before they shut down the whole project, they hired a college student part-time to build an app. They launched it, and in one weekend, they had 80,000 downloads. He said, on Monday, they hired that college student full-time. And then now they have today 40 people who work on that app. And over a quarter of a billion people have downloaded that app in every single country. And so when he told the story, he said, it started as a failure. We could have gave up, but we didn't realize what God was about to do. And so he began to tell all the different stories because they lead one of the largest churches in the U.S., how they got there because they didn't seem like they had enough. He was believing for more people to be able to preach for him when he was not able to be there. And so they have their first child, and it happened somewhere about Sunday early in the morning, so there's no way he's going to preach Sunday morning. But he had preached Saturday night, so they replayed the video. And people still got saved. And so they said, well, they wanted to build a bigger building, but they didn't have enough money. But then they said, well, what if we just played a video somewhere else? And now they got campuses in I don't remember how many states. 70,000 people every weekend. But it started in a situation like no one would, would have said that that's going to work. You think what you don't have is a problem. But what little you have is the solution when it's combined with the anointing of God. Don't be afraid to fail. So, well, what if I miss it? What if you do miss it? But what if you get it right? It depends on how you think about it. But sin is defined as missing the mark. So you know you're supposed to aim and go that way. But if you're in sin, you're not facing that way. You're facing wherever else. How many arrows of time, energy, effort, talent, money have you wasted aiming another place? You have arrows that can change the situation, but you're focused in a place you shouldn't be. You have something that will make a difference. And some of you, it's not necessarily sin in what you're doing, but you're fighting battles God never called you to fight.
You're so divided in all your efforts, trying to do everything, trying to be a jack of all trades, you're a master of none. So you're firing arrows in all the wrong directions except where God has called you to go. And if you would focus and aim where God has called you, the power of God will back you up and you'd go further than you thought you can go. Go to 2 Kings 13 and we'll close it here. Someone say, shoot your shot, bro. Second Kings 13. 2 Kings 13. It's near the end of Elisha's life. One of the last, last things he does in his ministry. He calls the king to him. He tells the king that he's about to die. The king begins to weep. He says, what are we going to do that you're leaving? This is basically says, the power of God, you're leaving. What are we going to do once you're gone? And I was at the same service on Friday night, and Pastor Stephen Furtick said, how long are you going to spend weeping over what's leaving? Why don't you fight with what's left? And so Elisha gives him some last words. 2 Kings 13. Verse 15, and Elisha said unto him, take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, put your hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. So what happens when Elisha puts his hands on the king's hands? The anointing is now on the king's hands. I don't know if you can see that. So the king has done his part, strings the bow, the arrows in place, the anointing's on his hands. And he said, open the, east, the window eastward. He gives him a direction. Notice he didn't say open every window. Notice he didn't say fire in every direction. He said fire east. On your computer, if every window was open, your computer will be inefficient. Your computer won't operate the way it should. Same way in your life if you're trying to operate out of every window. Get your direction. What does God want you to do? What is your focus supposed to be? And focus on that. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. The arrow of deliverance from Syria, where you shall smite the Syrians in Aphek till you have consumed them. And he said, take their arrows, and he took them. So what is happening? The anointing is being released as the king fires, and the prophetic word of the Lord's going forth. Just like this arrow, this is the arrow of God's victory. God is going to give you victory in this upcoming battle. I won't be there, but the power of God will be just like I was here. This is what he's telling them. But notice he says next, Take the arrows, and he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground, and he smote three times and stayed. So he did everything he was supposed to do. He strung the bow together. He aimed east, opened the window, shot the bow, took the remaining bows, and hit the ground. That's what the Bible says, right? But the next verse it says, and the man of God was angry with him. Because what happened? You would think you read this story one way, think, well, why is the man of God angry? The king did everything he told him to do, right? How many say that? Did the king do everything Elisha said to do? He did. But there's one thing he didn't do. Elisha never told him to stop. It probably didn't make sense to the king. Why am I hitting the ground? This makes no sense. So he has the arrows on the ground.
I did it. And see, that's how a lot of people are when it comes to doing what God has told them to do. They do enough so that they can say, well, God, at least I did that. Turn this mic on for me too, Sam. But he said, if you would have kept striking the ground, you would have completely defeated all of your enemies. How many things in your life haven't turned all the way it should because you stopped too soon? That you did, I hit the ground three times, God, I fired, I did all these other things. That's enough of my effort. And then your life is limited. You don't live the beyond life. But what you should be doing, if he told you to hit the ground, you keep hitting again and again and again and again and again until it changes. You keep hitting and hitting until you build a rhythm of perseverance, a rhythm of power, a rhythm of perseverance. Because what happens as you keep hitting, there's power in your consistency. So you keep going, 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 because your hands are anointed. So you keep striking until it changes. We can't be those who give up so soon. We can't be those who give up so easy. Well, it hasn't changed yet. And that just means you're getting closer to when it changes. Remember when God told the children of Israel to march around Jericho? He said, march around every day, the whole city. It's not a small city. It's going to take a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort. He says, on the last time, march around seven times. That makes no sense. But the power of God must be combined with action. At any time, Joshua and the children of Israel could have stopped. First lap, the second lap, the third lap, the fourth lap, the fifth lap. They could have stopped on six. It's not working, God. Let's go home. They would have missed the miracle. I beg you today, please don't stop on six. Please don't hit that ground only three times. You've been empowered by the almighty, infinitely able God. You have to stick with it. It's more than your praying. It's more than your believing. It's more than your confessing. It's raining, but you must work your land. You must step up to the plate and do something. You must work the ground God has given you. You must put in the effort. You can't be lazy. This is not the time to be spiritually lazy or physically lazy. Step up to the plate. Dream again. Believe again. Believe that even if you missed it in the past, that God has enough power to make it up in your future. It doesn't matter what you used to do. It matters what you're going to do now. Because what happened with this king, he hit three times. He said, you won't consume the enemy. And then Elisha died. The window was closed. The opportunity for victory had passed. This is a year of fabulous outpourings from heaven. It's raining over our lives. But you cannot miss this window. The Lord told us in January that we need to launch out. That's why we're revisiting this subject this month, because we're going to launch into the beyond. But if you don't take advantage of this window, you will watch people work the power of God, watch them advance, and you will wonder, why did it not happen to me? Did God not love me? Did God not give me power? No, he gave you everything you needed, but you refused to work the power. So come on and string up your bow. Come on and get ready and shoot your shot, bro. God has given you everything you needed, but you must do what he's called you to do.
You must step up to the plate. Stop talking yourself out of it. We've dealt with shame in the first week of this month. We've dealt with the pain of the past. we dealt with the fear of failure today. You have no excuses not to stand up. Come to the plate and launch. This is your time. This is your season. Stop expecting God to do something from heaven to fix it for you. You have a divine responsibility to grace. Will you shoot your shot? That's the question the Holy Ghost asks you today. Will you shoot your shot? What will you do? He's done everything he needs to do. What will you do? Glory to God. Stand to your feet. Praise the almighty God. Praise the all-powerful God. Praise his name forever. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's to Kansi Stuliman Gidad de Stobaba. Ere brandish the Durish to Kamanansi. For it's a man sit suritash di talamando vosi brinki. And le glukel namangli di jugalo dovo voshidana mangli idanongo zidalada. For says the Lord, there are things I desire to do within you. There are things I desire to do through you. There are things I want to do on your behalf, but your inaction limits what I can do. I have all power, all the things that you need, but if you don't step up and believe and speak and act, then you'll stay where you are. It's not because Satan has contained you or his battle's been too strong for you. It's because you have not stepped up to do what I've called you to do. So I encourage you, step up and believe. Step up and know. Step up and take your shot. And know I will back you up. For I have all the power that you need. Don't you remember? You can do all things through me because I give you strength. I strengthen you. I give you the anointing you need. But I won't fire for you. I won't do the action for you. It's your responsibility to take the shot. It's your responsibility to obey. And as you obey, believe that I will work through you, says the Lord, the Spirit of grace. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, we thank you for tongues and interpretation of tongues, sir. Hallelujah given for our edification, our exhortation, and our comfort. We will step up to the plate. We thank you because you are the one that strengthens us. So take a moment and pause. No one moving or walking. You can put your hands down. And ask the Lord to give you direction, guidance, and focus for exactly where you need to be aiming. Because so many people are too divided in too many different directions. Take time right now and ask him. He'll show you what you need to do. Father, as they ask, I ask you to open their eyes. Open the ears. Open their hearts to perceive for them to know with clarity what direction they are to go in, what direction they are to fire. For, sir, you said we can hear your voice, and the voice of a stranger we will not follow. We're the sons of God, so we're led by the Spirit of God. So grant them direction with clarity so they know that they know that they know without a shadow of a doubt. And yes, Father, I ask that you'll remind them of things you told them before but they have forgotten about. Things that they didn't move on because of whatever reason or excuse, sir. And I ask for your mercy. And I ask that you tell them again. You see, you can either make excuses or you can be used by God. It's up to you. Every head bow, every eye close in prayer. No one moving or walking unless you've been assigned to do so. Please keep your feet in the house of God. I hope you enjoyed today's message. 
We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked Him into your heart, you've never made Him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your Son. I believe that He died for me, but on the third day, you raised Him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.